If you're turning with me, we're going to start in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. So today I want to talk to you about the church, about unity, faith, and the power to change. And I think we're going to see some things that um, we've heard some wrong teaching about. I may have even taught you some wrong things about, about one of these subjects we're about to talk about. Or just kind of said it wrong and it gets confused with another word. But it brings a lot of clarity. You know when geese fly, you've seen geese fly in a, in a V formation? So, when geese fly in the V formation, it takes 40% less energy than if one goose were to fly on its own. 40% less energy. That's a lot. You ever, like, ran a 5K? It's horrible. Even if you're in really good shape and you've been training, it's still not fun. I don't, if anybody tells you different, I think they're lying. I've done a lot, and I've done them. I've been in pretty good shape when I ran them before, and I've been in pretty bad shape, and they, they're just horrible. Everyone on about mile two, I'm thinking, what, is, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? It's torture. Why was I saying that? Oh, so what if I had a way to run that I could do it with 40% less energy? Like 40%... The effort, and I could get the same result. It'd be pretty good. So I'm going to talk to you for a few minutes about unity and how God set it up to where we could do things. And a lot of times in life we think, well, well, I can't do what God's called me to do, or why is my life so hard? And it may be because you're not walking in unity. You're not connected to the people that God has placed in your life for you to connect to. Now we could be talking about in business and financially, or we could be talking about all different relationships. See, God's economy is all to do with relationships and who he places in your life and connecting and opening up and healing. That's the only way you can really change. Well, people can't change. I beg to differ. Hebrews 10, 25 says, Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Notice that the writer of Hebrews didn't say the gathering of yourselves together because we're all gathered here in church. So it's easy to kind of write that off and say, well, I assembled. Assembling, see, puzzle pieces can all be gathered in a box. But assembling means to be put in the right place, connected to the right pieces. Just like a puzzle, so that a picture can be seen. If it's just a jumbled up bunch of things gathered together, it's not fulfilling the purpose. Same with us. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you come to church. I'm glad you sit on a chair. But if you don't find your role and you don't connect, then a clear picture of Christ will never be seen. 
we'll never be all that we can be. And everybody has different roles. And some are to support and some are to clean and some are to give in the offering and some are to worship on the worship team and some, like we all have different roles. But we have to learn how to connect. You know how Wednesday nights, all the announcements are on the board, by the way. If you, if you missed any announcements, look at the TV when you go out, the TV screen in the foyer. But you guys know that we have fellowship night on Wednesday nights. And we have had for a while, and we've done different things. We've played cards on those nights, and we always eat dinner, and we've played basketball and softball, and we've prayed for people. We've ended up in the sanctuary doing little projects. We've all kind of stuff on Wednesday nights we've done. And I've caught a lot of grief about our Wednesday nights. People have come to me and said things like, uh, oh, don't you think we need to be doing something to for the growth of the body. Don't you think we need to be having a study or uh, learning some more theological knowledge on the whatever? And I think that they miss the point of what we're doing on Wednesday nights. People say, I just want to go deep, deep into the things of God instead of having some fellowship night. Well, why do y'all play cards and hang out most of the night on New Year's Eve? We should meet and discuss theology, build our knowledge about God so that we can be more spiritual. Every time someone says they want to go deeper, they think that that means knowledge. But the scripture tells us, and Jesus showed us, that there is nothing deeper or greater than oneness and unity, relationship. Y'all know Jesus' prayer? Not the Lord's prayer. The Lord's prayer is what Jesus told us, this is the Lord's prayer, this is how you should pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed. But Jesus' prayer, what we find Jesus praying in John 17 was that they might be one. Even as you and I are one. That was Jesus' prayer was, Jesus, after coming and growing up a man and feeling what we feel and being all man and all God, he grew up and he knew what it was to be in perfect relationship with his Father and he knew what it was to be a man and grow up in our world with our temptations and everything. And Jesus' prayer for us that was that we would become one. That we would have unity. That should tell us something. That should tell us how important unity is. How we can't get hung up on little unforgiveness and bitterness and hurts. And we can't be so closed off that we won't connect. You don't have to be open and connect to everybody. That's dangerous and reckless. But you can open up to some people. You can connect. You can trust. Spiritual maturity is measured in community. Think about that. I can measure your spiritual maturity by looking at your community, your relationships. 
Spiritual maturity is made evident in the health of your relationships. If you want to check your spiritual maturity, if you want to be more powerful, look around and tell me how you affect the other humans in your world. Spirituality is not about being alone on a mountain somewhere. It's about getting your hands dirty. It's about healing the wounds of humanity. That's what Jesus did. I mean, Jesus was God's son. He could have came and sat on a mountain meditating and teaching and written hundreds of books, giving us all the knowledge and the insights of heaven. But instead, he walked among us. He chose to be part of the human condition so that through his death, he could be the key to human connection. But it's hard. It takes a sacrifice to be a part of something, to be a part of in relationship, to be a part of a church, to be a part of a community, to be to make a difference. It takes sacrifice of time. It takes sacrifice of finances. It takes sacrifice of what you feel like or what you want or it takes a sacrifice. Um, let's read Second Chronicles 7, verse 12. And this is, remember Solomon built the temple, and he built this awesome temple. David wanted to build it, but David couldn't because he didn't have clean hands. And so God said, your son's going to build it. And so Solomon builds this awesome temple, church, the house for God. And the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said unto him, I have heard thy prayer. Anybody been praying for anything? And have chosen this place to myself for a house of sacrifice. I wish God would hear my prayer. Do you? God said, I have heard thy prayer and chosen this place to myself for a house of sacrifice. A house of sacrifice? If I shut up heaven, that there be no rain. Or if I command the locusts to devour the land. Or if I send pestilence among my people. What's he saying? No matter what the circumstances say. Even if you don't have provision, right? Even if the locusts eat up all the crops, no matter what it looks like out here, even if you lose your job, even if things don't turn out like you thought, even, that's what he's saying. Even if things look like they go really bad and wrong. Verse 14, if my people, which are called by my name, Where's one of my kids? Malachi, stand up. This is my son, Malachi Rutherford. He is called by my name. You can sit back now. He was nervous I was going to make him do something. 
he didn't he wasn't prepared for if my people which are called by my name my sons and my daughters shall humble themselves and pray that's what we've been doing and they'll seek my face and turn from their wicked ways then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and I'll heal their land See, so many times we say or we pray God send revival God heal our land God change the world All right, it's broken God heal our land heal America there's so God send revival but we don't humble ourselves and pray seek his face we don't sacrifice anything we just pray that God would do something but we're not willing to sacrifice desire without discipline doesn't accomplish much I have a desire to have a giant bicep But if I don't have the discipline to do curls, my desire doesn't accomplish anything. I desire to do great things for God. Great. Does your discipline match your desire? Verse 15. Now mine eyes shall be open and my ears Attent unto the prayer that is made in this place. In what place? In the house of sacrifice. That was the first verse we read. In the house of sacrifice. See, if you go back and start in this chapter, just start at the beginning in verse 1, it tells us about the great sacrifice that Solomon made. The great sacrifices. Um... It was 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep. He just sacrificed to God. That's crazy. That's an insane sacrifice. In fact, that's the biggest sacrifice I could find. Solomon, you lost your mind. That's enough sheep to feed all the people for a year. Great sacrifice. He said, in this place. What place? The house of sacrifice. For now have I chosen and sanctified this house that my name may be there forever. And mine eyes and my heart shall be there perpetually. The house of sacrifice. The house where selfishness dies. News flash, everything's not supposed to be about you or me. Selfishness must die. The place where flesh and feelings bow to something greater. Feelings have a place, but they must not lead. 
They can't be in charge or you'll be dangerous. They bow to something greater and 1 John 3 tells us that there's only one thing greater than your heart or greater than your feelings and that is God. Your feelings are stronger than anything else. You can talk yourself into anything. What you feel like the only thing greater than that, 1 John 3 tells us, is God. That's the only thing greater than your feelings. We got to connect. We have to come together in the house of sacrifice. And, and being in relationship with people, yeah, it's going to take some sacrifice. Right? Changing the world and walking out the call that God has on your life and doing the things that God has called us to do as a ministry and a church and a community. It takes sacrifice. But it's worth it. It's great. Like, it's awesome to listen to podcasts and YouTube. I don't know why I said podcast so weird. Podcast. <laughs> and YouTube and, and go on the internet. And there's, like, so many awesome preachers. And I recommend it. In fact, I do it all the time. Go listen to whoever you like. Bishop Jakes and Furtick and all of them. Go go listen to it. Go worship. And there's some awesome worship you can pull up. Most of you can pull up on your phone, pull up on the internet. By all y'all old people, get a CD. <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, like however, but you can go worship. Um Pastor Bruce sent me a, just a clip this week of just worship. And it was like 30 minutes of worship and said, hey, when you get an extra 30 minutes, listen to this. And so when I had time to worship and, you know, we're, a lot of us are doing the 20-20-20, so some of that can be spent on worship, focused worship. And so... I kicked that thing on for one of my 20 minutes and just going to spend some time focusing on God and worshiping. And I just, it really moved me. And I got into it and I had some goosebumps and had my eyes closed and I was just spending time with God and worshiping. And a crazy thing happened. Um, I heard Pastor Bruce's voice so real like he was in the room with me off to the right. Say, hallelujah, bless you, Father, that I opened my eyes. like some. And I've been in worship services with him before, and I know that's, he says stuff like that. He'll just yell out. He can't sing. He'll yell out things like that. That's how he worships. And then I got the realization that, you know, he sent that to me and Tim, and there is no time or distance in the Spirit. And so even though we didn't see each other last week, we all spent 30 minutes together in the same worship service led by somebody from Bethel. And I thought, wow, what a cool thing and just a really cool moment, a sweet time of worship and God. 
imparted some things into my spirit. But that being said, how awesome that was and how cool that is that there, that you can just worship and that you can get a word from God by listening to a preacher online, it does not and can never replace the gathering together. The corporate worship. The connections that that God has called us to and, and to be a part of each other's lives. It can't replace it. You can't just sit home and be all that you're called to be. Hear me. None of that can be a substitute for the gathering, for the church. That word church that's used throughout the Bible and this is where I think we've gotten the wrong idea, and I know a lot of people have the wrong idea about it. The word church is a Greek word, and it's ekklesia. It means assembly, congregation, meeting together of the saints. This word is used 114 times in the New Testament. And it means the gathering together of the saints. The word picture is that people would leave their homes and meet in a place for corporate worship, word, and ministry. That's what church means. Well, Dusty, I am the church. No, you're not. That's not biblical. You can't back that up with scripture. I am the church. I am the body of Christ. No, you're a part of the church. And you are a part of the body of Christ. But you are no more the church than a finger not hooked to a body. We become the church when we leave our places and we gather together and connect. That's when we become the church. The ecclesia. That's where, when Jesus made the promise where two or more are gathered, I'll be there in the midst of them, meaning I'm inside of all of you. He's inside of every one of us. That's why Paul said, know you not that you are the temple of the living God. Temple. That was a different word than church. The word church that's used all throughout the New Testament talking about gathering together and all the times that Paul the Apostle talks about the church and James talks about the church that's ecclesia. That's the gathering together of the saints. And Paul said, know you not that you are the temple of the living God. That means the dwelling place. Right. God lives inside of you. But if you want God to come up out of you, to be there in the midst of you, to see the power, to walk in what he's called you to do, walk in purpose, you have to gather together with other saints. That's how he set it up. We have to gather together. So you are the church. No, you're a part of the church. You the body of Christ? No, but you're a part of the body. If you cut off a finger and it has no blood flow, the finger will die. You could even keep it alive. I mean, you could throw it in the freezer and it'll live for a while, but it's never going to do what it was created to do. Not connected to a body.
You will only become the church when you connect with others. You're a part of the body. You're a part of the church. That's how we become powerful. I heard this story about a man who was just really upset on Saturday, and he said to his wife, I'm not going to church tomorrow. She said, yes, you have to go to church tomorrow. He said, no. I don't like the people there. They don't like me, obviously. I don't like the music. And I don't like the new decorations they put up in the foyer. She said, you have to go to church with me and the kids. And he said, you give me one good reason why I should go to church tomorrow. She said, because you're the pastor. Look at 2 Corinthians. (laughs) Went from 2 Chronicles to 2 Corinthians. Second Corinthians 7, verse 5. Paul was writing this down. Paul was going around starting churches and in ministry. And, and look what he writes. For when we were coming into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest. But we were troubled on every side. That's pretty bad. Your flesh had no rest and you were troubled on every side. Without were fightings, where then were fears. So that stuff out here was going wrong, stuff in your mind's going wrong. You all kind of messed up. Nevertheless, God gave me a dream. Nope. Nevertheless, a miracle. No. Look what it says. Nevertheless, God that comforteth those that are cast down comforted us by the coming of Titus. Paul was in a real bad spot. Mentally, the circumstances were going bad. He was upset, wore out. He was fears within, fightings without, all kind of stuff. There's a lot of debate on what was really going on from scholars and stuff, but one thing everybody can agree on is he was in a bad place. A lot of bad stuff was going on. And you know how God solved the problem? A person. He sent Titus. When God wants to do something amazing, He uses people. It can also go the wrong way, too. When you really mess up your life, it'll usually happen through a person, too. Through the wrong people, the wrong connections. But when God chooses to do something amazing, He uses people. You know, God gives us the ability to create. We're created in His image. He's the Creator. And He put the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. Holy Spirit, that's the breath. The creative breath of God is inside of us. It's the same word throughout Scripture. The breath of God, the creative breath that spoke the world into existence. Jesus, after the cross, breathed it back on the disciples. 
as a sign like when Jesus breathed it into Adam when he created man. So we have the ability, the ability to create. The devil can't create. He doesn't have the ability to create. Animals can't create. They don't have an imagination. Animals can't think about the future. They don't have dreams and visions of the future. They just deal with what happens right now. That's how psychologists and people, they can explain how it is possible for like a man to kill a lion with his bare hands. Because the man can imagine what's going to happen and think what might happen next or ways or could have even pre-planned how he would fight a lion if he ever got attacked by one. The lion just simply has to react to what's going on right now. Even though he's way stronger, way more powerful, he's got built-in weapons. I don't recommend that. Most of y'all probably couldn't take a lion. But some of us could. But animals, they can't imagine. They don't have vision. They don't have dreams of the future, plans. We can. We can imagine. We can get a vision of something and then we make it happen. If you feel comfortable, close your eyes. Put your hand on your purse or your wallet. You never know. We are in church. Now I'm going to say a word and most of you are going to automatically see a picture in your brain when I say the word. Okay, so close your eyes if you want to participate in this. Dog. Wait, keep them closed. I'm going to say a couple more words to you. Big dog. Mean dog. Okay, you can open your eyes. Just... By a quick showing of hands, how many of y'all saw something? Picture. Almost everybody. Okay. How many of y'all saw three different dogs? Pretty good bit of you. Little dog, big dog, mean dog. How many of y'all saw the same dog? Like at first he was just a dog, and then he got he was big, and then he was mean few of you. This is telling me a lot about y'all. I read this, this study that was done. A few of y'all have pretty high IQs. <laughs> Nolan and Joe were like two of the only ones that saw the same dog, but I did too, so. <laughs> All right. Um, they say in the study that only very smart people saw letters, D-O-G, to me, that's not very smart. I mean, you don't have a good imagination. You saw big letters, but anybody just see letters? D-O-G? We got one genius or a liar. One of the two. <laughs> Who else? Hey! Okay. Well, that's crazy. It was two teenage girls. 
<laughs> Two geniuses. <laughs> How many of y'all saw Snoop Dogg? No. <laughs> and now could I call the worship team back? We're going to have a time at the altar. <laughs> you know what that is? It's you getting a vision of something, like automatically. It's just built into you. You hear a word and you automatically start imagining. You start dreaming it. You start thinking about just something as simple as that. You just heard a word. And you start thinking about it, dreaming about it. And if it's something important to you, you'll start taking steps towards it. If you have the discipline. See, we have the ability to create. You have vision, imagination. Imagination is God's gift to you. A dream is your gift back to God. Remember on The Greatest Showman, that, that song that it sings a million dreams for the world we're going to make? Dreams. And then you walk it out. What do you see? To accomplish a big dream, it must become clear. You need a vision. You need a dream. You need to, to make it clear. Think about it. Be intentional. You know, if I go to Walmart and I don't have a list and Jesse says, hey, can you stop and pick up some groceries? But I don't have a list. This happened a few weeks ago. And on top of that, I was hungry. I got like two dinners for the house, enough lunches for the boys for school for a couple days, a whole bunch of other really good-looking stuff. Like, why I wasn't focused. I didn't have a list. It wasn't clear what I was supposed to get. So there was a lot of waste. There was a lot of junk. Faith is what makes us human. And you can build your faith. You can feed your faith or you can feed fear. That old Indian story about the two wolves and the old Indian was telling his grandson, you know, there's, there's two wolves inside of you, a good one and a bad one. And the grandson was like, well, which wolf's going to win? And the, the old wise Indian told him, the one you feed. And that's true. You can choose to feed faith or you can choose to feed fear. And the one you feed is the one that's going to win. John Maxwell says, we see things not as they are, but as we are. As we are. Think about that. You think everybody's a liar? It's probably because deep down you're a liar. So you think everybody else is. If you're super jealous and can't trust your spouse, then it's probably because you're not trustworthy yourself. Is what he means by that. You, you, 
You see things not as they are. You see things as you are. So what are you feeding? People of fear, people that choose to feed fear or negativity, and people of faith or positive people can go through the exact same thing in life and they see it completely different. The exact same set of circumstances can happen to these two different people and one of them can be feeding themselves faith and positivity and the other one can be feeding themselves fear and negativity and the outcome is completely different for the same situation and the same set of circumstances. There's like 30 different Bible stories that we could talk about to illustrate this point. One great one to me is when the 12 spies got sent in to spy out the promised land and they came back out, they saw the same thing. They walked on the same land. They looked at the same giants. They saw the same fruit. They had all been given the same promise by God. And 10 of them said, we can't do it. We're like a bunch of grasshoppers. They're going to kill us. Ain't no way. Send us back to Egypt. In fact, let's just choose a captain and, and forget you, Moses. <laughs> we're out of here, man. Look, let's pick a captain. Take us back to Egypt. It'd be better if we were slaves. Ten of them were saying, after their hard set of circumstances, when things weren't what they thought they would be, Joshua and Caleb saw the same thing, walked in the same land, saw the same giants, the same obstacles, everything exactly the same. And they said, oh, no, 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 no. We are well able. We'll take this land. Let's take it now. Caleb's like, let's do it now. Come on. I believe they could have taken it then, at that time, now. God had given it to them, but they let fear keep them out. They went through the same thing. What will you feed? Hebrews 11, uh, the writer of Hebrews is going down telling us just like the hall of faith. He's telling us all these people out of the Bible and they did this by faith and they did this awesome thing by faith and Noah built the ark by faith and, and all these things that, that they did by faith. Faith is just belief. Trust by believing it could happen by faith. And then we know the Bible tells us that without faith, it's impossible to please God there in Hebrews 11 too, towards the end of that. We also know from Scripture that every man has been given the measure of faith. So if every man has been given a measure of faith, without faith, it's impossible to please God. But that means we can all please God if we'll just believe. If we'll just have the belief to trust what he said and step out on it. We have our differences as humans. But when attacked, we stick together. Remember the movie Independence Day? When the aliens came and attacked us. And how all the humans came together. I speak like it was a true story. Y'all remember back in the 90s when they came after us. 
We lost some good men. <laughs> In war or when there's a great evil, united we stand. So we're all connected. And then unity or strength is found. But what makes us different from all other species on the planet? How are we so powerful? How are we in charge? How do we have dominion over all the other animals and everything living? Like on the movie Planet of the Apes. If there's a chance that some monkeys or something could take over, humans unite. So what makes us human? I'm going to read you Hebrews 11 and Hebrews 11, 1, 6, 1 through 6. I'll read it to you in NIV and then we're just going to wrap it up. Now faith is being sure of what we hope and certain of what we do not see. That makes sense to anybody? Faith is being sure of what we hope. For and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. So that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man. When God spoke well of his offerings, and by faith, he still speaks, even though he's dead. How's he still speaking even though he's dead? I'm reading about him right now. And his life is speaking to this whole room full of people. And has been for thousands of years. By faith... Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly Seek Him. So, without faith, it's impossible to please God. That's unfair. A flower doesn't have to have faith to please God. A wildebeest doesn't need faith to please God. Why do we? You see lions and orangutans and sunrises are being what they were created to be. That tells us that it is faith that returns us to our humanity, to what we were created to be. Faith isn't a material that makes us more than human. Faith is the material that makes us human again. What does it do? The scripture doesn't really make sense when we, when we read it. If it wasn't in the Bible, you would probably say, that's crazy. 
That don't even make sense. But since it's in the scripture, we say, oh, that's nice. Being human means that you are supposed to be rooted in the future. Hope is in the future, not the past. Hope's always in the future. If you don't have hope, maybe you don't have vision. Maybe you quit dreaming. Because hope's never in the past. And think about like even right now, some of you are hoping that God will send you a wife. But then when that hope is realized and God sends you a wife, you need to quit hoping for a wife. Right? I mean, you're going to get yourself in trouble. You don't need to keep hoping for a wife once he sends one. Now you need a new hope. Now you need to hope you can make it work. Hope is always in the future. Hope's always tied to the future. And being human means that you are supposed to be rooted in the future. So I want to build your faith. And I want you to connect and create and have hope in the future. James 2, 17, Jesus' brother, he wrote this. And I told a little bit of this at, at Blake House so this week on Monday. We had a good service. And so my guys that were with me, you might have heard some of this. But James 2.17 says, Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. So, James says that faith without works is dead. You can have dead faith. You can have a faith that's not alive. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. You can believe in Jesus and believe that your sins are paid for and have no works and no evidence in your life. And James would call that a dead faith. Faith without works is dead. If you just have works, it'll break your back. If all you're doing is working and you don't have faith or belief, you don't have trust, and all you're doing is just working and doing and doing, trying to do for God and do for people and serve because it's what you're supposed to do, and, and you just have works with no faith, it'll break your back and eventually you'll burn out. You can only do it for so long. You're only strong enough to keep going for so long if you just have works without faith. But then here's, here's some of us. It's all faith. And you never do anything. And that's James said, faith without works is dead. I mean, you talk, you talk a nice talk, but you never walk it out. You talk about helping people, but you never help anybody, right? You talk about connecting. You talk about a ministry that God's called you to, but then you never walk it out. 
You talk about being the husband that you should be. You talk about being the wife you should be, the father you should be, the all you fill in the blank, all these areas, but then you never walk it out. You never have the faith to believe that you can do that or you can be that or the discipline to match your declaration. I don't want to be a dead faith Christian. Jesus says, get up. I was going to read you that story in Mark 2, but I feel like we've already gone a while, so I won't go to those other scriptures that I gave you. Today, I hope I can build your faith. I hope through the worship and the word that you've heard God speak and you've built your faith because we know that scripture tells us that you can build your faith. Your faith can grow, your belief, your trust. James just told us that faith without works is dead. And I can say that works without faith are exhausting. But I want to thank y'all because y'all built my faith this week. Y'all made me believe, some of you. You reminded me that I'm not alone. And not only can we change the world, but we will. In the last week, I gave you guys a challenge, and a bunch of y'all took it. A lot more than I expected. And we went to Blake House last Monday, and several guys went with me, and we just, we had a great service. And then just throughout the week, and Wednesday, and different things, and we got that. Our connection with House of Cherith is back up and going. There's a group of ladies going today with an awesome craft and food and um, just several different things that, that you guys built my faith this week. Because just to be honest with you, as a pastor, it can get discouraging sometimes. A lot of times you wonder, am I making a difference? Do people even hear, like, I pour out what I feel like God's saying, and are there any doers? Did anybody hear what I said? There are weeks that I don't hear any kind of feedback from the message. That happened a couple weeks ago, nothing, not one person. And then I start thinking, was that not good? Did I, did I miss it? Was that not, oh, God was speaking that to me. Maybe nobody got anything out of that, or... Or you look at people's lives and, and we're humans and we all have trouble and problem and stuff like that. And so you can get caught up with people's problems and lives that seem to be falling apart and train wreck. And you think, man, is it making a difference? Is it doing any good? Did it, I mean, are my own kids even listening? Wake up, Sky. <laughs> Just kidding. But it can get discouraging. Last week, you guys helped build my faith. See, problems usually speak louder. They're usually the loudest thing. 
In weeks like this, I'm reminded that, that we're a powerful people. We're above average. We can and will change. People say, I've heard people say that people don't change. People can't change. Uh, he is what he is. He just put on an act for a little while. I don't believe that. You can change. It's hard. But I could go around this room pointing people out. I'm not going to. Don't get nervous. And having you stand, and I can tell you how this person has changed. How I've seen them grow and change and, and mature and lay down some habits and some chains. And I, I could go around the room. People can change. They do change. It's just hard. In Mark 9, 23, um, Jesus took his favorites up on a mountain to this awesome experience, transfiguration. And all the rest of the disciples didn't get to go. They had to just stay down at the bottom of the mountain. And when they come back down, there's this huge commotion. And Jesus comes up and says, what's going on? And there's this guy standing there. And he's like, I brought my kid to your disciples. And, and he's tormented by this demon. And I brought him. And they said they could heal him. And they prayed for him. Nothing happened. And so Jesus says to the man in Mark 9, 20, 23, I believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. Believeth, that's faith. He believes. He has faith. So Jesus' statement to the man, Jesus said to him, all things are possible. If you can believe it, it's possible. And then Jesus said, do you believe? And the Bible says the dude started crying and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. I do believe, but I don't. Both. You ever been there? I have. Daily. That's how faith works. Told you a few weeks ago, faith is, I'm convinced faith's married to fear. They sleep in the same bed. So every time I've stepped out on faith, their fear's been there. Hey, honey, move over. I don't know why I made fear be the woman. My bad. Fear's going to be there. That's what makes it faith. That you have to trust. You have to believe. You have to feed one or the other. Fear will hold you back. And faith will launch you into your purpose, into your calling. You know what else built my faith this week? Malachi told me his New Year's resolutions. And it was something I've been praying about specifically for his life. what I told you a minute ago. It's easy to get discouraged and think, anybody even getting it? Like, my own kids get it. <laughs> he built my faith. 
you know you only have a certain amount of space in your brain. Some of y'all got a little more than me, but... <laughs> Wait, if you have more space, does that mean you're smarter or not? See, that's how much space I got in mine. I don't even know. <laughs> There's like way more in your brain that we haven't even figured out how to unlock. You know, humans only use a small percentage of our brain. But... You only have a certain amount of space in your brain. Psychologists will tell you that there's only this little portion that we use and that you've used, and it can get full. You only have a certain amount. So you train yourself in these patterns and, and the space in your brain. I don't, maybe some of y'all got a lot more than me, but I don't have enough space to waste. Sometimes I feel like I've barely got enough space for all that God's placed in my heart. There's only a certain amount of space in your brain and offense and unforgiveness, bitterness, negativity. They're taking up space that you need to create the future. Don't you see they're choking out? They're killing faith. You've stopped believing. James said faith without works is dead. And what can stop good works? Offense, unforgiveness, bitterness, negativity, feed and fear. That's what will stop good works. And that will kill faith. And you won't create. It kills faith. And if you can't believe in the future that God has for you, then you probably won't create it. Why would you create something you don't believe in? It's a fairy tale. You know being offended is a choice. You choose to be offended. My pastor, Pastor Bruce, says, you can't offend me. Anything you say or do, I've made the choice a long time ago that I will not be offended. It's a choice. He says, sometimes he has to say to his wife, Rhonda, I'm about to choose to be offended with you if you don't stop. Because it's a choice. But if you can't be offended, then it's easy to trust. God, build our faith as we connect. And as we check different areas of our life and see if our discipline matches our desire. We don't want a dead faith. We don't want a faith that, that says, I believe in God, but has no works, that has no fruit or no evidence. We want to walk in purpose. We want to be fully alive and fully human. 
God, give us dreams and visions. And then give us the strength to walk them out. We're going to feed faith. And we will starve fear. Fear doesn't stand a chance. We love you. Thanks for calling us to be part of your family. Help us to make a difference in the world that we're placed in. In Jesus' name, amen.